2: Now the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12:03 on Wednesday afternoon, March 8th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rob Hart. The new CEO of the Bears is also a real estate developer. We'll discuss that in our next segment, but right now, a we'll report on employment in the private sector is out ahead of Friday's government jobs report for February. We're joined by Carl Ricadana, Chief US Economist, BNP Paribas, based in New York. Carl, thank you for joining us today this is the private payroll report from the payroll processor adp which uh, more often than not uh, serves as a preview at very least of the trajectory of the uh, department of labor jobs report that comes out friday morning 7:30 central time what are some of the uh, headline numbers in this adp report for jobs in february Well, the
3: key themes here, uh, good afternoon, uh, are uh, really that the labor market uh, continues to add jobs at a robust pace. If we wanted to just be at, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, cruising speed uh, for the labor market, where we're uh, kind of uh, just meeting the natural growth rate of the the labor force and of the population, uh, we need to grow jobs at about 100,000 or maybe 85,000 jobs per month. Uh, that ADP, ADP print is telling you it's uh, more like 240,000 uh, at the moment, which incidentally would be a very cool number relative to what we saw over the last uh, 12 months or so. Uh, but it's still, even though it's cool relative to recent history, it is still a very hot print that tells you that the economy continues to run hot, the conditions are tightening, uh, and as uh, we alluded to in the uh, prior segment, uh, then that means that, that you know the Fed is realizing uh, their work is not yet finished.
2: And uh, since this is International Women's Day, we need to point out that there's a very good chance that uh, women are keeping the job market uh, in this uh, this this state of uh, elevation because you have a lot of women who may have uh, sat out the last uh, 18 months because of COVID concerns or they were serving as a caretaker or uh, for a, n- a number of other reasons. Now they, they can go back to work and they're driving the increases here.
3: Well, we know that uh, in terms of the caretaker burden, whether it was for aging parents or for uh, children who were doing remote learning and therefore a parent had to stay home, uh, we know that uh, female workers uh, bore uh, the brunt of that uh, burden. Uh, There were some males, of course, uh, but disproportionately that fell onto females, uh, which meant that we saw labor force participation uh, in that uh, cohort, uh, you know, kind of mysteriously weak uh, throughout the last uh, couple of years. Uh, and and now, presumably, uh, that should bounce back. But I would say there's still some significant headwinds on that front, uh, uh, not the least of which is the cost of child care. Uh, and we know that we are still about uh, 50 or 60,000 childcare care workers uh, shy of where we were pre-pandemic. That means that uh, with that shortage of workers, child care costs are extraordinarily high. Anyone with a kid uh, knows uh, that for a fact. Uh, and that means that in a lot of households, they're making a tough decision uh, with uh, a second parent uh, potentially earning just enough to cover the cost of childcare, care, uh, and therefore that second parent may instead opt to uh, stay home because it's all a, a wash at the end of the day, at least in terms of the uh, financial considerations.
2: And then very quickly, the, uh, the, the Fed is certainly going to be keeping an eye on the jobs report for, uh, inf- uh, to inform their next interest rate decision. But what portion of the jobs report, what number are they looking at? Is it the total number of jobs or is it wage growth?
3: Well, as Chair Powell said on Capitol Hill both today and yesterday, it's the totality uh, of the data. So it's really a combination of factors, the three main uh, factors being uh, the level of the unemployment rate, which is now the lowest since 1969, Uh, the pace of hiring, which, as the uh, ADP number suggested, is close to about uh, a quarter million jobs uh, per month, Uh, and lastly, uh, wage pressures in the economy. And I suspect we're going to see in Ugly print or a hot print uh, on uh, in the report uh, that we see on Friday morning at as you mentioned seven thirty Central Time.
2: Carl Ricadana, Chief U.S. Economist, BNP Paribas, based in New York. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up, the Bears now own the former Arlington Park property. So what's next? The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Last month, the Bears closed on three hundred twenty-six acres of property in Arlington Heights, but that's just the beginning of a very long journey. Let's check in with Danny Ecker, reporter, Crane Chicago Business. Danny, thank you for joining us today. And if you drive through the northwest suburbs, maybe on Northwest Highway or you're on Route 53 and you look off to the side, there it is, the grandstand of the Arlington Park racetrack and the potential it represents. And now the new president of the Bears is a real estate developer. He helped get the U.S. Bank Stadium done uh, in Minneapolis for the Vikings. What can he do for the Bears in terms? of bringing this project in for a landing?
4: Well, yeah. So Kevin Warren, you know, he's really not, by trade, a real estate developer. He just has the experience, as you mentioned, with U.S. Bank Stadium in in Minnesota as well as a a big uh, suburban practice and mixed-use campus in suburban Minneapolis. Um, You know, when the Bears in January announced that he would be uh, the new CEO, obviously he's well-known here as being the Big Ten commissioner for the past uh, almost three years. Uh, he, you know, the, the, the expectation was that, you know, this guy, uh, is a lot of experience that will prove useful for the bears as they pursue the Arlington Heights project. Um, and I think there are a lot of similarities. We look at the fact that he worked on us bank stadium, uh, in terms of the overseeing the construction of that, uh, as well as this mixed use project, the Vikings took on in the suburbs, you know, the combination of the two gives you somewhat of what the bears are pursuing in Arlington Heights. And it's just a, a, a lot of similarities between the two, but also some new challenges that he's going to have to face here, uh, including the, the push for public subsidies and, you know, managing uh, the fact that they're going to be leaving Chicago most likely here. And uh, there's might be some, some people that resent them, especially as they ask for taxpayer assistance for
2: it. This is not just a stadium project, as you point out. It is also a mixed-use development that will surround the stadium on the Arlington Park property. Uh, is In his experience in Minneapolis, what is the biggest challenge? Is it building the football stadium or is it everything else?
4: I think it's just a, a matter of uh, managing the various, I mean, there's so many different constituents, so many different stakeholders that, you know, want to and need to have a say when you are building something like this uh, uh, from, you know, not just the, the municipality that you're dealing with, but surrounding munis- municipalities and different uh, groups that uh, Want to make sure that their voice is being heard, and, and you know, from everyone I spoke to for a story about this, who worked with Kevin Warren in Minnesota, they said, you know, he really was a master at that. He he, he was able to be a leader that uh, made everyone feel like they had a voice uh, in in dealing with this and making sure that um, things were were going smoothly and that everyone's interests were represented in the final product, but. You know, there are just unique challenges here with a, a very different type of ownership group with the Bears and the, the Vikings have. The Vikings owners are real estate developers by trade. That's not the the history of the McCaskeys, which obviously are not independently wealthy outside of the team. Um, and so navigating that, I think, will be a new challenge for Warren, as well as uh, just, you know, he was really not the guy who was the point person that got public subsidies uh, done for U.S. Bank Stadium. That was another executive with the Vikings. So it might be a little bit of new ground for him as he pursues that and making sure that uh, he does that in a way where it doesn't bring too much negative attention to the Bears.
2: And it sounds like uh, his favorite uh, negotiating tactic was uh, using the clock and indicating that uh, he would stick around all night if need be to get something done. A big fan of the uh, late-night pizza delivery.
4: Yeah, that was one of the good anecdotes I got from uh Ted Mondale, who's actually the son of former US Vice President Walter Mondale. He worked on the uh for the Minnesota Sports Facilities Authority working with Kevin when they built US Bank Stadium, and he was talking about, you know, this guy has an incredible resolve. He he really uh Kevin that is has this resolve that uh, uh can get deals done because he will just stay on things. He he has uh, kind of an incredible uh, stamina to uh to able to focus on these these projects and see them through and uh there was a lot of high high remarks from uh uh people who work with him in minnesota saying that uh, look if you had to pick a guy uh to oversee this project and be able to push it through the bears picked a really good one in kevin warren
2: danny ecker reporter crane chicago business thank you for joining us this afternoon coming up next michelin recognizes more chicago restaurants
0: call from mom answer it call silenced
1: Your daily transaction for useful information. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues.
2: A restaurant reviewer, Michelin, has released its latest Chicago guide. Let's check the highlights with Doug Roth, founder and president of Playground Hospitality based in Chicago. Doug, thank you for joining us today. Now, before we uh, go into the actual uh, establishments that uh, have been added to the Michelin guide for Chicago, we don't know yet which have received the star and which which have uh, received the Bib Gourmand designation.
5: That's correct. Uh, What has happened is they've announced uh, a few restaurants here in Chicago as being additions, um, but those additions are uh, sort of kept uh, in in the pocket for a little while until uh, later in the spring. And then at that time, they'll announce the, the restaurants that will be getting stars and those that necessarily will be getting the Bib Gourmand. And then from, and, uh, go ahead.
2: Okay, from a business perspective, uh, what does this mean for an establishment to get the Michelin recognition? And uh, how does this uh, help your business?
5: Well, historically, uh, this was only held to France. And if you got a three star, which is the highest uh, Michelin rating, you were considered one of the best restaurants in the world. Now, what's happened is from a business standpoint on Michelin's side is they have gone to other cities around the United States and, and the world and here in Chicago, it holds a a significant importance. It's sort of the Academy Awards of uh, dining at this point, and uh, it's something that you want to hold proudly, um, but it doesn't always necessarily drive traffic. It's a a covenant award, but but again, it isn't necessarily a big business award.
2: And once again, uh, this uh, was founded by Michelin, yes, the tire company in the early 20th century, uh, with the logic of, well, you have these tires and you have a car. Why not give you a list of ideas of places to go with your car and try out some uh, some, some restaurants that we think are, are, are really exceptional, as you mentioned, just inside France, now around the world. What are some of the establishments uh, that are receiving Michelin recognition this year?
5: Um, Avali is, uh, is one of the restaurants, uh, which is uh, a restaurant that is a Greek restaurant. Um, I also might add, too, that we do have a three-star restaurant um, in Chicago, um, which has been Alinea. And uh, that has continued to be a, a very, very important restaurant for Chicago and the, and the United States, if not the world. And so uh, we're well represented in that sort of context. Um, we have quite a few restaurants. Uh, again, difficult to say, that are from all parts of the city at this point, that we will be receiving some type of uh, recognition.
2: We have uh, Indian in uh, River North, Rue, a Southern restaurant in Hyde Park Union, a neighborhood spot in Logan Square, Pompette Correct. in Bucktown, a cafe and wine bar whose name means a little drunk in French. And we were talking about the impact on business. Uh, what? How? You know, what? What does this mean, though, to restaurants and restaurateurs who had to endure the pandemic?
5: Well, I think it's a nice uh, it, it's a nice badge of courage uh, in the context that you're coming out of the, the pandemic now, and there obviously had not been a lot of things to celebrate. And finally, there are some fun things that are starting to happen. Uh, these the Beard Awards uh, are, are others that um, obviously are, are very held high in esteem. And I think that um, what's going to happen is is that uh, Chicago will continue um, to be uh, one of the top, if not the top, culinary scene in the country. Uh, as you know, a couple of magazines have uh, uh, indicated that we are the player.
2: Doug Roth, founder and president of Playground Hospitality in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today to talk about the seven restaurants added to the Michelin Chicago Guide. Still ahead in Personal Finance Wednesday the common financial challenges that women face and how to deal with them. This is Chicago's news traffic and weather station, News Radio 1059. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. The Louisville Police Department is accused of engaging in a pattern of civil rights violations. Artificial intelligence could mean a smaller number of stock pickers on Wall Street. In Personal Finance Wednesday, examining some of the unique money challenges faced by women. Adidas is paying a huge price for its severed relationship with the rapper, formerly known as. Kanye West. WBBM business. The markets are lower. The Dow is down 237 points. The Nasdaq is down 20. The S&P 500 is down 16. Right now in Chicago, we have 43 degrees under partly sunny skies, topping out at 45 today. It's 1231, topping our news at the half hour. The Justice Department has found that the Louisville Police Department has engaged in a pattern of violating constitutional rights. It follows an investigation prompted by the deadly shooting of Breonna Taylor three years ago. This is U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland.
4: Some officers have demonstrated disrespect for the people they are sworn to protect. Some have videotaped themselves throwing drinks at pedestrians from their cars, insulted people with disabilities, and called black people monkeys, animal,
2: and boy. Garland calls the conduct unacceptable and heartbreaking. Chicago businessman Willie Wilson is made an endorsement in the city's mayoral runoff. He's backing former school's chief Paul Vallis. Wilson says he has concerns about Vallis opponent Brandon, Jans- uh, Brandon Johnson over taxes and police funding. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues. Markets are lower. Joining us now to talk about the stock market and what could be the future of stock selection is Mark Hulbert, investment columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and MarketWatch.com, based in Washington. Mark, thank you for joining us today, and I want to announce to you right now, I have melded with an AI program. Uh, I am Rob GPT, and I can tell you <laughs> that the markets are lower today because of concerns over interest rates. Is that the future of business commentary?
6: <laughs> Let's hope not, Right. Um the uh, you know I uh, I'm somewhat in the middle I think the whole hype around AI has really gotten overblown people have exaggerated impl- you know expectations for what it can achieve however I do think there are ways in which it can help and uh, so I try to weave between those two polarities in in a recent column um one thing to sort of throw a damper on some of the inflated expectations that people have is uh, to point out that uh though AI based mutual funds and hedge funds and so forth, there are a few out there, have done okay. They've done better than the worst people, uh, the worst advisors out there. They by no means are at the top of the performance rankings. And so uh, just like what I hear from a lot of people, a lot of industries, like some top developers will tell me that perhaps some of the the least uh, trained, the least uh, expert computer programmers in their company may be in danger of losing their job because of Chad GBT or some of these other AI softwares. But the top programmers, their jobs are, are probably secure for a while at least. And I'd say the same is probably true on Wall Street. The worst maybe shouldn't have been in business to begin with, but uh, are probably vulnerable to Chad GPT putting them out of business. But if you're a top uh, stock picker, I don't think you have much to worry about.
2: And, and we may have had this discussion before that uh, even though we're talking about AI in terms of these GPT programs as a relatively new thing, Artificial intelligence in some way, shape, or form has been part of the investing scene for decades. I mean, if, if you have an algorithm or if you uh, use a, a mathematical formula to, uh, to to determine trades or market moves, that is a form of artificial intelligence.
6: Uh, yeah, that's a, that point is very well taken. I mean, it, it, you know, the dividing line between using a slide rule to using a computer to using artificial intelligence – is perhaps a difference in degree, but it's not a difference in kind. In one of my uh, columns on the subject, I've written several, actually, over the last uh, couple months, I went back and looked at an index of hedge funds that have either AI in their name or claim to use AI in their stock uh, stock picking strategies. And I have this index data back to 2009, so that's 13 years right there, And what I show is that, on average, that uh, index has not done as well as the S&P 500. So that's perhaps yet another piece of evidence that we should uh, keep our expectations in check.
2: As technology becomes a greater part of the mix, uh, even more so than at at the present time, uh, does does the golden gut become more or less valuable?
6: I actually think it becomes more valuable because... Uh, In one sense, what you're asking any computer to do, whether you call it AI or not, is try to predict human nature. So let's say we're right now asking an AI program to tell us what's going to happen this year. Well, in order to have any basis of an intelligent guess, they're going to have to try to project what's going to happen, let's say, to, uh, to inflation, what's going to happen to what the Federal Reserve will do, what will happen in the, the war in Ukraine. And no one knows that. It doesn't matter how much you have trained your AI program with machine learning and looked at all past data, you're not going to know with any degree of certainty what's going to happen in the war in Ukraine or what the Fed does. In fact, uh, Today, Jerome Powell, the Fed chairman, said he doesn't even know yet because they haven't decided yet what the interest rate hike will be later this month when the Fed meets. So I think we have to realize that uh, we, you know, knowing the future is still unknowable and, uh, and no amount of uh, computer expertise is going to get us over that hump.
2: Mark Hulbert, investment columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and MarketWatch.com, based in Washington. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Coming up next in Personal Finance Wednesday, money and investment management with an emphasis on women. Investing 60 minutes each weekday for planning for the future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour
6: continues.
2: It's Personal Finance Wednesday on this International Women's Day. And this afternoon, we're focusing on some of the unique money challenges faced by women. Let's get some help from chris everett financial planner and president of everett wealth solutions based in forest park the author of the book the prescription for a healthy retirement chris thanks for joining us today and let's start off with the fact that uh women by and large and uh, this is either you know th- through a variety of circumstances always shoulder the burden of caregiving and how does that impact their finances over time
0: well, it has a huge impact, as you can well imagine, right? If you're not in the workforce, not saving, and you're spending your time, talent, and treasure caring for someone else, it has a huge impact. Um, some people will inherit because of spending that time, some won't. So it's really important to try to get a handle on that. You know, every year, Allianz does this updated study on women, money, and power, and they found, well, The last one I saw was 2021. They found that compared to two years ago, women are less likely to consider themselves to be CFO of their household. And that the impact of the pandemic has been forcing women to focus more on short term financial things rather than the long term priorities like saving for retirement. I say let's do something about that.
2: And then is there also a, 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 a is it documented or is this something that uh, people talk about in their own experiences that uh, maybe when it comes to financial planning, that uh, if you're a woman and you have a male financial planner that maybe they're not giving you the best advice or 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 they're, they're they might be looking down on you as the female client?
0: You know, I've heard that. I also think that women are hardwired to listen more. And maybe because of the commonality of woman to woman, it makes it a little easier. But I have clients of all stripes, and I think that being a good listener works whether you are male or female.
2: And then when it comes, oh, go, go ahead.
0: Well, I was gonna say, you know, we all solve problems so differently. You know, ladies, some of us are very reflective and we take our time, we collect all this data, and some of us fly by the seat of our pants, right? So how you process that information may either be realistic or maybe just a little too optimistic. So you have to ask yourself, do you want, you tend to be somebody that wants predictable outcomes or are you open to something new? And does your solution need to be structured and real um, in line or can it be a little bit a bit pioneering? Can something else be of interest to you? You know, before I speak with, ladies or actually any client, I want to know how they think. It just makes me a much better listener and fiduciary. So we offer this free communication profile to anybody we talk to on our uh, Everett Wealth Solutions site. And it's a hoot. It's also a great relationship tool. So if you take the free communication profile Share it with your partner if you have one. It makes for great date night fodder. <laughs> and
2: then, then lastly, <laughs> what, what, the other thing—I mean, this is just the way demographics and science work out—is that uh, uh, in in a, a male-female relationship, the woman often outlives the man. And how do you tailor retirement savings and retirement planning to the fact that uh, when it that you you will live longer than your spouse?
0: Yeah, that's such a great question. Do you know that most people? make a bad decision about when to start their social security. And if you have a spouse, this could be the only pension you have, because, you know, so many companies have unwound their pensions, and so people are more reliant on social security at a time where it really isn't doing that well. You could be making the biggest mistake of your life Actually, 94% of the people do when they're making a Social Security decision. So get some counsel on how to make that right. Because if your spouse or you make the wrong decision and they pass away, you're stuck with that decision. And it could be the wrong one. It could cost you not only tens of thousands of dollars in your life, but usually it's hundreds of thousands of dollars. Big mistake. Big, huge
2: Chris Everett, financial planner and president of Everett Wealth Solutions in Forest Park, authored the book, The Prescription for a Healthy Retirement. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Join us this time tomorrow for Technology Thursday. And still to come, Adidas is facing its first yearly loss in several decades. Discussing the news affecting your money. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The breakup of the relationship between Adidas and the rapper Ye, formerly Chicago native Kanye West, is called Costing the company dearly, we welcome in Jan Rogers Niffin, CEO of J Rogers Niffin Worldwide, based in New York. Jan, thank you for joining us today. This is the first loss for Adidas in 31 years, all because of the cost of the unsold Yay merchandise, the Yeezy uh, line, and the uh, the cost of conducting a strategy review.
7: Yeah, actually, you know they had. Have- Pretty good numbers compared to what the street was expecting, so they looked fine except for the six hundred and thirty million dollars the Yeezy product cost them. So yeah, you've got that right. They they were actually running a pretty good business out through the first three quarters, and other than this, they also hit, made the numbers for the fourth quarter. So their business outside of that product is fine, and yet this thing cost them you know their thirty year record of good news. So it's a, it's a big deal when you pick a horse and you start riding the horse and it turns out the horse is just not going your
2: way. It turns out the horse uh, had some questionable uh, beliefs from spending too much time on the Internet.
7: <laughs> the horse threw the jockey. Yeah, exactly.
2: And uh, what, that's, you know, you, you make all of this stuff. You can't sell it. The brand ambassador is toxic. What do you do with it?
7: Well, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens there, right? Is this stuff going to become collectors' items, and maybe it gets sold out worth a lot for a lot more than they've really written it down to, or is it just so bad they're going to have to just junk it off to a third world country or sink it in the ocean? And you know, it, it's the kind of stuff that you do see sold off at cents on the dollar into places where the brand doesn't really mean anything and nobody's really going to see it and you see that happen with a lot of product but i don't know if that's what'll happen with this one there are people out there right now collecting up the product thinking that at some point in the future, it's going to be a collector's item.
2: And then, so, so there's a distinct possibility that somewhere in the world, a part of the, a, a country or region in which uh, people desperately need uh, clothing, you're going to see somebody walking around uh, wearing uh, Yeezy shoes and a uh, congratulations, 2023 Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles t-shirt. You
7: are absolutely likely to see that because for all of my career, we sold all that kind of stuff south into South America someplace, and that will very likely happen unless, like I say, people start collecting the Yeezy stuff. But it's definitely going to happen with the Super Bowl champ stuff.
2: But even then, I mean, it's it's not, yes, it is, there's a collector's item because it's this thing that was pulled off the market. But it was because of something very offensive that the brand ambassador said. So even if there is a collector's market, it does, it just makes you feel uneasy that it exists.
7: Oh, yeah, I agree. I, I don't know that's going to happen. I just know there are a few people collecting up thinking it's going to be, you know, never going to be seen again. And therefore, at some point in the future, when all this is forgotten and yet it's just this Kanye West product that's something somebody goes oh wow that's you know kind of a collectible but I think probably what's going to happen is exactly what you said it's going to wind up at the same place that the uh, Super Bowl champ t-shirts wind up with when the uh, losing teams and so we always print them for both sides and they'll go someplace into South America and there really will be Kids running around in really expensive shoes and T-shirts weren't worth very much when they started. And somebody will get a picture of that. And, yes, it will show up someplace because now anything that happens winds up on the Internet.
2: Right. Jan Rogers-Niffen, CEO, J Rogers-Niffen Worldwide, based in New York. Thank you for joining us today. You'll find past programs and a podcast of this hour coming up at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app.